Oh, I'm going to sing. So, do you like those old songs again? Hey, just bringing up those old songs. Isn't it really cool? When you sing those songs, excuse the voice again, okay? I'm going to be like Brian Houston one day, I'm sure. Those songs, they bring up memories to you. They do to me. The songs bring memories and they bring things back and they take us back to a moment. You see, I have a belief, I have a strong belief that the songs that come out and through places like Hillsong or Bethel or whether it be um, in England at Belfast, over the years, God has been using song and He's been using our worship songs as a prophetic message. And if you wanted to, and I've done this sometimes, where you take the song that seems to be the popular song, not just in this church, but in churches across Australia or even across the world, and you'll find there's a common message. And it's like a message that God's bringing to the church. There was a time of the message about love. You know, the power of your love. And God was just trying to say to His church, soak up my love. A few years ago, a common song was 10,000 Reasons. You may remember that. And I really sense that God was saying to His church, look at the, look at the reasons why you have to worship me. There's 10,000 of them. There's another time where he, he sang, we, we sang a song, and you might remember about 2013, Darling Czech, Hillsong, wrote a song called Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. Do you remember that? And it was, a, it was a powerful message at the time because we found that what God was saying to His church, that it's not just about you having a touch of heaven. It's about you being touched by heaven to change a world because you and I are His instruments of the world. You and I carry heaven. And that's what our series has been about, is that touching heaven, changing earth. And I want to chat to you a bit about that because we looked about, I've looked at uh, Matthew first up and we looked at the whole concept of John the Baptist who said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it was like the kingdom of heaven is right there. It's like walking past, he's here. And then last week I talked about the baptism of Jesus. And no, we didn't, we, we further that, did we? We talked about Jesus saying you must be born again. You see, because the kingdom of heaven is something that comes in us. You re might remember this, that when uh, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he said, you know, I'm talking to you about the things of earth and you're struggling to understand them. How will you understand the things of heaven? Because he says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. In other words, heaven has come down. And he wants us to touch heaven. That is the realm of the kingdom of God and everything that is in it. So I want to talk to you today. I'm going to go to another gospel and we're going to look at the gospel of Mark. But I just want to ask you, does anybody under the age of, oh, it's down here. Excuse me, Sienna. Here we go. Anyone know what one of these are under the age of 20? 
Anyone? Under the age of 20. It's a smart plug. Cool, I didn't think you would know. Okay, well, I discovered a smart plug at the age of 18. See, yesterday, Marg and I went down to see her dad, who's not doing too great, and he was, he's at a nursing home, and we were sitting there, and, and everybody went out the room, and I was just having a, a chat with my dad, or Mark, his dad, and he said to me, he said, gee, he said, we didn't say gee, but he said, Margie, she's, she's wonderful. She said she's really special to me. And I went, wow, Dad, she is to me too. So thanks for giving her to me. And he laughed and he said, yeah, I had second thoughts about that. <laughs> but but it was, we had a bit of a joke together. But I said, do you remember, Dad, do you remember that uh, when you taught me how to, because he taught me how to service a car. No one ever taught me that. And Dad took me one day and we went to the, the car. He said, I'll show you how to do it. And he pulled out the spark plug. And he taught me about this spark plug. Now, because of that moment, I've actually now been able to, to rebuild about three engines now just because of what he taught me. But he actually told me about the spark plug. And he said the most important thing about this spark plug is the gap. You see, there's a gap. There. You may not see that, but there's a gap in the spark plug. Who's the, come on, all you mechanics. I bet you, uh, come on. Uh, a, the, the gap was really important. And you had to get little feelers out, right? And check the gap. That's what we used to fix cars. You don't do that anymore. We send them to the man to fix them for us because they're too complicated. But you used to get a feeler in there to make sure the gap was right. If the gap was too close, it didn't work. Why? Because you see, the gap needs a spark to go through it. And the spark ignites the compressed fuel that's actually in the cylinder chamber there. And if the spark is too big, if its gap's too large, there's not enough power for a spark to happen. But if the gap is too tight, there's no spark. So the gap has to be just right. You see, we need gaps. But we don't need the gap to be too big. Sometimes in relationships, gaps can be too big. Those young people who are having the gap year, right? It's a gap year. Parents are telling you it's a gap year. If it's a gap two years or a gap three years, it becomes a lifestyle, right? And that's when it's no longer called a gap year. You're called a bludger. <laughs> so the gap is only a year. See, in relationships... If you're, if you're too close and you don't know your personal space, it's no longer a relationship. You have to have an operation to separate you. You see, in good relationships, there's got to be room for the gap. And with God and us, there's got to be a bit of a gap because he wants us to be a spark in the world that we live in. That's why he said that you are in the world but not of the world. He wants us to have that place where there's the spark of heaven connects with us and it ignites something powerful in the world. But here's something else about a spark plug. You'll notice this one is old um, and you would tell me that my car's been running pretty rough because it's full of black carbon. And see, the problem is if the, car, if the car's running too rich, it just fills up black carbon in there. 
And sometimes as Christians, we can be so rich with information, so rich with knowledge, so rich with what we should do and what we shouldn't do, so rich in what we do at church that we so become so carbonated, the spark goes. Because we're so full. It's not flowing out anymore. It's just filling up, filling up, filling up. And you become obese spiritually. And it fills up. Or sometimes the carbon is because oil or something has been running in your engine. That's not a good sign. But if you're black, you might want to check your oil. Because sometimes oil causes that to happen as well. It just makes it go really black and the spark stops happening. And that to me reminds me that sometimes in life there is stuff that's burning in me that shouldn't be burning in me. And it's taking away the spark. I want to talk to you about getting the right gap so the spark comes back. Because I think God wants us as a church. I'm excited about where we're at. I'm excited about where we're at as a church because I am convinced I I can't own it. I'm not planning it. But I know in my spirit, I know last week when we were at the worship time, I know that in my quiet times, there's a burning inside me and there's a fear inside me. There's a burning inside me and there's a wrestle going on inside me. And that's usually a good sign that God's got a divine moment ready for us because it all seems to happen that way. But I want to talk to you today about closing the gap between us and heaven. Because sometimes the gap is too big. And I'm going to try and do it before I lose my voice. But I want to take you to a scripture. A scripture in Mark. Now Mark is known as the hammer by some theologians. Marcus, or some called him John Mark. Mark was sort of like, he liked to get to the point. He was the, Jesus was his spiritual hero. And he loves telling stories about what Jesus, he saw Jesus doing. And he saw things that other Other gospel writers didn't see, just as they all did. all had a different set of eyes. And he seemed to highlight certain things. He would highlight that Jesus, if you look in Mark 1, that Jesus would get up early in the morning and go out and pray. Probably because Mark was used to getting up early in the morning. And he would get up early and he'd see Jesus going off and praying. So Mark picked up a few things that others didn't pick up. But if you look at the Gospel of Mark, he goes straight into it. He doesn't mess around with all the genealogies and what happened. He goes straight into Mark chapter 1. He goes full bottle straight into the things that Jesus was doing here on earth. And he starts doing healings. He sees, sees Jesus coming into towns and, and touching lives, bringing heaven to earth. And he comes up to this account in Mark 1, verse 40. And I want to read this story to you because this was one I picked a few weeks ago to share because I wanted to find it. I wanted to say, God, show me. Show me how we bridge the gap. And this, was, this, this story led me to, and then I was reminded of a message I heard about this. But let's go to Mark 1, verse 40. Have we got it up there? Open up your Bibles if you've got it, or your tablets, or your phones, um, and you might want to highlight some little things in here. But we're going to stay around verse 40 to 45. And it goes like this. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If, If you are willing, 
you can heal. Make, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. I am willing. That's a, that, underline that, highlight that. I am willing. That's the words of Jesus today, saying, I am willing. There's a lot in that. You could preach a whole sermon, a whole three sermons, just on I am willing. He's willing. His middle name is Will. I'm willing. He said, be healed. Then he goes on. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. That's what you should do, right? If you are healed from leprosy, just in case you need to notice, if you're ever healed from leprosy, you go to the priest for him to check you out, right? Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for purification, right? For those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. That's going to be your public testimony, Mr. Man with Leprosy. But the man didn't listen. He went, spread the word, proclaimed to everyone what had happened, and as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. If you're highlighting your Bibles, I want you to highlight that he couldn't publicly enter a town, because I'm going to come back to that, because that's profound. He had to stay out in the, in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. He was a man with leprosy. He has no name. He's just a man with leprosy. There's no identification. There's no where he was from. He's just a man with leprosy. Now, that would be typical because when you have, in those days, if you had leprosy, you lost everything, including your name. And he became known by the issue he was carrying. I want you to highlight that. He was known by that of which he was carrying. He was carrying a sickness, and he was known for that. You ever have the phone calls, and, or you ring up someone and you say, hi, this is Steve, and they go, Steve? So I go, okay, I have to explain hi. I'm the good-looking bull bloke with the beard, goatee, you know, and you go, and usually they pick it, right? Oh, yeah, here's the bull bloke with the goatee. If they don't, I'll say, you know, the bull bloke, goatee, talks a lot. Oh, yeah. We're not. If they still say no, I say, ah, oh, the bald-headed guy with the goatee and a good-looking wife, Margie. Ah, oh, now we know the one. What are you known for? Ah, oh, and if that doesn't work, I say, I'm the bald-headed guy with the goatee, good-looking, speaks a lot, married to Margie and has a son called Jaden. And they go, ah, oh, we know Jaden. Yeah, the son of the father of Jaden. What are you known for? Tell me, what are you known for? Are you known for what you do? Are you known for what you don't do? Are you known for your giftings? Are you known for the issues that you carry of unforgiveness? 
Are you known for being over happy and it bugs everybody? Are you known for being grumpy and people keep away? Are you known for someone who's just carrying stuff that, that is just always a problem? Or are you carrying somebody who's known for carrying somebody who is always a possibility? What are you carrying? What is it that when people look at you? Because see, when Jesus looks at you, he calls you by name. See, you've got a name. You've been given a name. He doesn't, he doesn't call you by your gifting. He doesn't call you by your achievements. He doesn't call you by your career. He doesn't call you by your problem. He doesn't call you by, your, by anything else. He calls you by name. When he stands at your door and knocks, he looks for the door that's got your name on it, not your problem. So you do, he doesn't see you as a man with leprosy. He doesn't see you for what you're carrying. He doesn't see you for your achievements. He sees you for who you are. You need to hear that today. If there's nothing else you hear today, you need to hear that. He sees you for who you are. He calls you by name, not by your problem, not by your victimization, not by your achievements, whatever it might be, and we've all got them, I've got them, and he calls Steve by name. But here's something else that happens. Now, I want to tell you about leprosy, right? If In the old days, this is scary, look at Leviticus 13, 14, right? In the old days, if you were sick, look who you went to to get checked out, the priest. The priest had to check out if you had leprosy. Listen, if you want to know what your diagnosis is, don't come and see me. It, it won't work. I know there are some pastors who are doctors, but not me. You don't want me to check out what's wrong with you. John, don't ask me to check out what's wrong with John because I, it might be scary. I went to a doctor's once up here, and I had this lump on my hand. And I went to him. He was, he was Irish. And I went to him, and I said, mate, um, I got this lump here. It's quite big. It's getting bigger all the time. And he said, oh, let me have a look at it. And he looked at it, and he, he checked it out, and he poked it. And he gave it some name. It was a really long name. And I went, oh my goodness, should I ring up my family now and tell them I'm going to die? He said, no, you don't have to do that. He said, I can fix it for you. I said, you can fix it? He said, yeah, 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 I'm a doctor. I can fix it. I said, great. So he said, now just come here a minute. Just hold your hand like this. So I'm holding it. No, no, tighter like that. No, a bit more, a bit more. Bit more. Now look at it. Keep looking at it. And all of a sudden, he turned, which I didn't see. He grabbed the biggest book he could find and went, bang. And I went, Ah! He said, is it fixed? I said, well, the pump's gone, but the arm's broken. And he said, he said well, what's, it's, it's fixed though, isn't it? I said, yeah, but why did you have to hit it with a big book? He said, well, you're a preacher, aren't you? You hit people with a big book every Sunday. <laughs> so you don't want a preacher to tell you what's wrong with you. Because they'll probably get the Bible out and hit you over the head. But if you were a man with leprosy, they would check the sores. They would see it. If it was like some people, even if you had dandruff, were seen as unclean because you were scally. I don't have that problem anymore. Well, not here anyway, probably here. But, but if you had scales on you, if you had some sort of sickness on your hands or you were seen as having leprosy and you were excommunicated, 
So you'd go to the priest, he would check out your sore, he would see if it was really, it's quite descriptive in Leviticus 13, it's quite descriptive of what they're looking for. And once you have been defined as having leprosy, you had certain clothes you wore. They weren't nice. They were old rags that were ripped. It was obvious that you had leprosy by what you wore. And not only was your stuff ripped, you had to stay out of the city. You were secluded. You were separated. And not only that, if you did come close into town, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. You've got to tell people what your problems are. Imagine coming to church today, coming in and telling everybody what your problem is. I'm an angry man. I'm an angry man. I'm a stubborn man. I sinned this week. I did this. I'm a liar. Well, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? It'd be a noisy place. Be a noisy place if we did that. But that's what they had to do. But I want to do something here, right? Now, this I didn't come up with this idea. We were at Hillsong, Jaden and I, and the guy would preach on his message. He had a different slant to it to me, but he preached on his message. He did something really, really cool. So I'm going to do it, right? He did this. Doesn't take long. He did this. Are you ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five. I'm gonna go for Fifty, right. So here I am in the car park. This is how far the man had to keep away from anybody who was a believer. This is how far he would have to be away if he was to go anywhere near a person who believed. He was out in the car park. You see, here's it. Here's the deal. I stood out here this morning and I thought, there's a whole bunch of people in our car park who we've separated from heaven. Why? Because of the things they're carrying. You see, there's, a, there's people that aren't going to come anywhere near the church. Why? Because of the things they're carrying. And here was the problem. You see, this man, he wasn't just carrying his sickness, but he was carrying, he was carrying this issue that in him said, I'm not accepted. And he was separated. You see, religion will separate us from the very person and the presence of God because he was carrying religion. If you read Mark Driscoll's book, Repenting of Religion, and he highlights the issue that one of the issues that happened in the garden still happens today where we want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's right and what's wrong. And you see, in our heads, we all know what's right and what's wrong. And in our heads, it separates us from the very presence of God. Because in our heads, we know that it's wrong. When I used to go to, to, to church as a young fella before I was saved, and I used to go, and I knew I wasn't right. I could tell by the way the guy greeted me at the door. I wasn't even dressed the same way. In those days, you wore a tie to church. I wore 
scruffy old trousers. I, I know that, that I was wrong because, you see, I still smelled of the cigarette smoke that I was smoking before I got there. So I knew I wasn't right. I knew that I wasn't right because I'd been using some pretty bad language. And in my head, it was telling me, you are separated because you're wrong. You know, we've got a world that's struggling to come in. Jaden spoke at a business breakfast about the youth ministry and what they're doing with youth and the whole concept of leadership and culture and the importance of it. And there, there was a very significant businessman, I won't mention his name, and he started questioning Jaden. And he said, where do you hold it? Jaden said, in a church. He said, young people will not come to a church because of religion. I thought that was an interesting comment. Why does religion hold people back? Because I'm not good enough? Because it's hypocritical? What is the stuff that I'm carrying in my head? That stuff I've done this week. I didn't pray this week. Oh, darn it. That's right. We had a sermon about how you're supposed to pray every day and I didn't do it this week. And oh, I better, oh, gee, I feel so far away from God. Why? Because someone has told me this is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do it, if you don't do it, you're separated. You see, this man was separated from the stuff he was carrying, but also by what the opinion was. Now, it was a good thing that you kept a leprosy man away from a community. You don't want the whole community to get leprosy. But you see, Jesus changed that. Jesus changed that because he wants us to come close. I read a book that I was struggling with a few months ago. And, uh, and in it, and I could hear what the man was saying, but he was actually pointing out that we have made it too easy to get to God. Because you see, in the Old Testament, you, if you actually had saw him face to face, you would die. You've got to put something over your head and you can't come close to God. But you see, here's the funny thing about that. Jesus ripped the curtain down. He made it possible for us to come to God. He made it possible. He wants us to come into his presence. So he, the leprosy man, he, he gets the courage. And he starts to walk in. It's kind of weird talking about your heads. He starts to walk in. He starts to walk closer to Jesus. And where is he? He's right in the middle, right in the middle of people. All the people that would have started to move back from him. He gets close and Rob moves away because, man, you got leprosy. you got leprosy. Don't come too close to me. I might get something. But this man had the courage to keep pushing through, even though he understood that the opinions of people around him, the opinions of people around him, didn't think very much of him. See, did opinions of people around us stop us from getting close to Jesus? I've got to be something. I've got to look like something. I've got to behave somehow. But you see this man, he walked in, and people moved away. They were running, I think, because what are you doing? man with leprosy, walking close to Jesus. And as he gets closer, he did something. You see, he pushes through and there was Jesus right there. Right there. Now, this man was doing everything wrong, right? He should have been shouting out unclean and he didn't. He should have been stepping back, but he didn't. He broke everything 
that told him he couldn't get to Jesus? What are we prepared to break to get to touch heaven? And he gets close. What were the disciples doing? They should have been protecting Jesus. If he touches Jesus, Jesus has just lost his whole ministry. If you touch a holy man and you've got leprosy, that man's now unclean. He's got what you got. Don't go anywhere near Jesus. I don't hear that. Maybe they were saying that, but Mark doesn't sort of suggest they were saying that. And he falls down. He comes right up close. So much close, so close that Jesus could touch him. And he falls down on his knees. Do you know one of the greatest things that I think stops us? Except for the things that are going in our head. Except for all the rights and wrongs that we're carrying. Except for all the religious stuff and all the ideas that we're carrying. All the sin and the bad thoughts that we're carrying. All the opinions of others around us that we're carrying. I think this is the greatest thing that stops us from falling down. And the knees of Jesus. It's fear. It's fear. Ooh, I'm going to fall down. What if... See, this man should now be killed for what he's just done. But he came to his knees. See, fear will stop us climbing the mountain to see Jesus. Fear will stop us from facing those, those big Goliaths in our lives. Fear will stop us. Because what if Jesus... If I give my life to Jesus, this is my thought when I was a young guy, what would he make me do? Stuff. He might make me, he might make me a preacher. That was my greatest fear. I ain't going to be no minister. No way. I actually hid in a cupboard. He wasn't going to find me. It's the truth. He wasn't going to find me. No way. What? He might make me be good. He might make me have to do things I don't want to do. He might send me to Africa. What's he going to do if I give my life to Jesus? I lose all my freedom. If I fall down and ask the kingdom of heaven to touch me, I might do something weird. I might speak in tongues. I might go and pray for someone and they're healed. I might witness to somebody who I'm scared of if I touch the kingdom of heaven if I was to touch Jesus it was a fearful thing for him to walk from out near my red car all the way into here it was scary man he had to go right through the crowds he had to walk past his own issues he had to be prepared to be rejected again but he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he looked up at Jesus and he said, you've been healing people. And I know if you were willing, you could do that for me. Jesus did something that he was not supposed to do. He, did, he violated all the rules as he always does. He looked at that man. And he said, I am 
willing. God is willing to touch your life. He is willing. Are we willing? He is willing to touch our lives. He is willing to come and live in us. He is willing to use our lives to impact the world. He said, I am willing. And he reached out, it says, with compassion. In some translations, it doesn't say the word compassion. See, compassion is an interesting word. It says indignant. You see, compassion finishes with passion. And you know when you're passionate about something? You're passionate about the footy. You're passionate about certain bad things happening. You're passionate. I was with some young people that were passionately angry about trafficking. And they were passionate about it. Passionate. They were going to placard. They were passionate. It annoyed them. It was, it was something they were going to respond to because they were so passionate. And Jesus, it says, was indignant. And in other passages, it says he was compassionate. And those two words are the same word because in Scripture you can go and you can use a, you can use a word and it can mean different things. And he was compassionate, but he was indignant. He was I don't know what for, but I think he saw the sickness. He saw the separation. And he said, no more separation, even for someone who's carrying the issues that you are carrying. And he reached down and he touched this man. And he was instantly healed. I believe God wants heaven to touch us. Why? Jesus gave him some instructions. He said, don't go out and don't go and tell everybody. What happened? You try and hold that man down. Hey? When you're touched by heaven, you try and hold you down. You're going to get out there and you want to tell people. You want to get out there and you want to take that spark of new life because he has just gone through the greatest, the greatest journey of 50 metres. That mile, that's a long way. Not just distance, but in his head and in his heart. He travelled a long way to get there. He was scared. His life was on the line. But Jesus healed him. And man, he went out and told everybody. I believe God wants to not just touch us in our heads. He doesn't just want us to be a good church community. He wants us to be a people of God who have touched heaven. And the spark in the spark plug is alive. That those issues that we're carrying, all that carbon, all that over-fueled, over all that stuff, he wants to clean it up. He wants to get the gap right. So that the church is heaven on earth. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? The church should be heaven on earth. Because the church, you and me, not the organisation are going to touch heaven and bring it to earth. That's exciting. We're going to come into a time of communion. But there was one part of this message 